0: I sort of got chastised after my message last week. You see, I began a new series called Love Thy Neighborhood, where we're taking a deeper look at the familiar words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Someone asked Jesus to name the greatest command in the Bible, and for Jesus, the greatest command is sort of like a door that swings on two hinges. It has two parts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and my main point from last week was a challenge to ask ourselves, what if we really took Jesus' words seriously? What if we took the second half of that great commandment, literally, and applied it to our real next door door neighbors? What if we made loving our real next door neighbors a high priority in our lives, right up there with loving God with our whole heart? What if we became a, a church community of good neighbors. I started the message with a little test on how people could identify uh, some uh, famous TV neighbors through the decades from Fred Nethel Mertz to Patrick Starfish. Well someone was a little miffed that I left off my list the person they thought would be the most famous TV neighbor of them all, Mr. Rogers. And they're right, I mean Mr. Rogers is probably the most famous TV neighbor, in fact his TV show was one of the longest running TV shows of all time from 1966 all the way to 2001 and you can still see the reruns. I mean millions and millions of children found a a soothing neighbor in Mr. Rogers with his you know his cardigan sweater, his calm and gentle demeanor. He created this sense of an idyllic neighborhood where everything was good and safe and wholesome. And there's a tendency to long for that kind of a perfect neighborhood, as though there was a time in our past when neighborhoods and communities were really like that. You know, for adults, there can be a nostalgic longing for maybe our own childhood, where we felt we had more of a sense of real neighborhood, of, of real community. But sometimes we sanitize our memories to make the past seem more idyllic than it really was. I grew up in Evansville, Indiana. A mid-sized Midwestern city where in the summer my mother would chew us outside in the morning with a peanut butter sandwich and a few Oreo cookies and she wouldn't see us again until dinnertime. She wouldn't worry about us being kidnapped or molested or injured, nor did she care if we were bored. It was up to us to figure it out. And so we just played, you know, all day, no coaches, no carpools, no play dates. We figured it out and we had a blast. So in that sense, things are very different today with our highly scheduled, constantly stimulated, closely monitored children. But neighborhoods weren't perfect back then and neither were our neighbors. I remember the time my friend from across the back alley came banging on our door on a Saturday afternoon with his shirt off, crying, red welts visible on his back because his dad had been beating him with a belt. And my dad having to go over to have a man-to-man chat with my friend's father, and I, I really respected my dad for that. In that idyllic past, a lot of things were hidden. A lot of things were hushed up. A lot of damage was done because we didn't talk openly about such things or, or deal with some of the painful realities of what was really going on behind closed doors. Families broke up, but they just kind of moved away, and then things were swept under the rug. We live in a very different world today. Our sense of neighborhood and community is very different and we have to learn to live for Christ in this world, not try to recreate some idyllic world from the past. So how exactly do we go about loving our neighbors? Well the Apostle Paul was a pioneer in the early church and helped shape the vision of what it means to live as a christ follower back then but today as well and in his letter that he wrote to the church in Colossae, chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 he said this he said be wise in the way you act towards outsiders make the most of every opportunity let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone the word outsiders might sound a little harsh But Jesus used the same phrase to describe people who are not yet believers. What Paul is talking about is being wise in how we relate to people around us who have not yet found their way back to God. Certainly some of our neighbors are living for Christ through their own church experience, but others, many others, and if you look at the statistics for church attendance, you'd have to say the vast majority of our neighbors are outside of a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ our world is becoming more and more like that first century world when the christian faith was a definite minority christians as a minority that's a reality today and that is different from my childhood in a sports analogy you'd say as christ followers we're now the away team we no longer have that home field advantage when we were in the majority and had greater influence on culture and media and politics that world is pretty much gone we no longer have that kind of home field advantage and we'd better learn how to play the game differently play in a way that reflects our position as the visiting team in our own culture that's a phrase from Christian writer Jim Toon Christians as the visiting team in their own culture Paul challenges to make the most of every opportunity do you recognize that where you live is an opportunity. I won't bore you with the statistics, but I'm willing to bet that not more than 10% of the people that you rub elbows with every week have any kind of active faith in God, of any kind. Unless you spend all your time in the church building or you live in some kind of Christian bubble, which would be a different kind of problem. But it's not a coincidence that where you are living right now, God has a purpose for that. What if you've been sent to the individuals and families in the houses that surround you? What if God has strategically placed you where you are, surrounded by the people who live near you? What if God has intentionally kind of sprinkled his people throughout neighborhoods and offices and schools so that we can rub elbows with people who are outside the faith? What if that's been his plan all along? Christians who gather on Sunday but who are scattered, sprinkled, dispersed throughout the week. I like what evangelist Luis Palau once said, The church is like manure. Pile it up and it stinks up the neighborhood. Spread it out and it enriches the world. Spread out into the neighborhoods. What if that's God's plan? Loving our neighbors isn't going to be easy, but what I appreciate about Jesus is that he doesn't just lay down some command and then say, good luck. Throughout his life, he actually modeled how to do this. He showed us how to love our neighbors. And so today, I want us to talk about three aspects of Jesus' life that can help us, you know, make the most of every opportunity. That can help us love our neighbors and maybe shake us out of our apathy and not to be so cocooned within our living rooms or hidden in our backyards. The first thing is to be willing. To be willing to engage with people and this might not sound profound but it's crucial to loving our neighbors. If we were to take a poll in this room about who is an introvert and who is an extrovert, most likely more hands would go up in the introvert category if we could convince the introverts to actually raise their hands. Many of us naturally just kind of shy away from building or extending ourselves to reach out to build a new relationship. And so when it comes to growing in relationships with our neighbors, we might say, you know, I I really don't want to. We may find ourselves kind of pulling into our garage or our driveway each day, kind of shutting the garage door or going into the house or apartment and kind of avoiding any interactions with the neighbors outside. If we hear our upstairs neighbor leaving their apartment, we may, you know, hang out a few minutes before we leave uh, just to avoid a conversation. I mean, I get that. I mean, I've done those things. Myself, I know what it's like to want to avoid, you know, spending my relational energy on my neighbors. But if we're going to be people who make the most of every opportunity, we're going to have to be willing. You know, life is short. In this life, we can only do a few things really well. So isn't it a good idea to make sure that one of the things that we do well is what Jesus said is most important? As a Christ follower, isn't it a good idea to devote our energy to what Jesus says is most important? And what did he say is most important? Loving your neighbor as yourself. We need to put some energy and some intentionality behind this. You see, Jesus modeled this kind of willingness. Jesus intentionally sought out relationship. Take the story in Luke chapter 19 when Jesus, Jesus spots that despised, very short tax collector Zacchaeus up a tree. And Jesus says, Zac, come down out of that tree. I want to hang out with you at your house. I want to meet your friends. He re- literally kind of invited himself into Zacchaeus' life and into Zacchaeus's home. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus intentionally went into people's homes and shared meals with them. He did the same thing with Levi and Mary and Martha, with the unnamed family in Mark chapter 2, where his eager listeners end up tearing a hole in their roof to get their crippled friend closer to Jesus. In fact, he spent so much time in people's homes, his enemies accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. Because Jesus loved a good meal. He loved a good dinner party. That's where he told some of his most famous stories, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, told in someone's home around a table. One theologian calls this the sacrament of the party. Yes, Jesus spoke in synagogues. Yes, he spoke at the temple. Yes, he spoke at mass rallies. But his best work was done in homes. Over and over again, Jesus intentionally sought out people and was willing to spend time with them, we have to be willing. The second key from Jesus' life is that we have to be interruptible. One of the reasons we don't build relationships with our neighbors is that I think we we say, I don't have time. And let's be honest, we don't live in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. The pace by which we live life is so different. We constantly, we're updating all the time, all our time-saving technologies, and yet we still have no time. We have every cooking device known to humanity and we don't have the time to make a meal. We have to eat out or have our meals delivered to us ready to eat. We text because calling and email isn't fast enough. We DVR shows so that we can speed through them faster and skip over the commercials. And yet with all the time-saving devices we seemingly save, there is still not enough time to get everything done. We rush from one event in our Google Calendar to another, barely stopping to breathe, let alone smell the roses. We have no margin in our daily packed lives. No space, no room to maneuver. So if one thing goes wrong it's like the whole day is shot. One delay throws off the whole schedule out the window and our stress level goes through the roof. We have no margin for error. What we might not realize is that hurry is one of the greatest enemies of the spiritual life. Let me say that again. Hurry is one of the greatest enemies of the spiritual life. Psychiatrist Carl Jung once said, hurry isn't of the devil, it is the devil. And the sense of hurry is also one of the greatest barriers in loving our neighbors. Hurry diminishes our capacity to love. You can't really love someone when you're in a hurry. Love always takes time. Love requires us to slow down and pay attention to those around us. You can't have a relationship with your spouse or your child or your friend or family member if you are always in a hurry. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you never let your carefully planned out life be interrupted. Jesus lived an interruptible life. In Mark's account of Jesus' life, he tells a story that kind of reveals Jesus' priorities. Mark 5, verse 22. Jesus was a busy guy. People placed a lot of demands on his schedule to heal and to help their situations. And once as a crowd was pressing in on Jesus, a man named Jairus came to him. His daughter was very sick and he asked Jesus to go with him to his house to heal her. And Jesus is willing and so they start to push through a crowd. And a woman who is afflicted with her own disease just kind of reaches through the crowd and touches the edge of Jesus' cloak. She had been sick for 12 years, we're told, so suffered from one crackpot remedy to another nothing had worked and she's in daily agony and so she's reaching out to touch Jesus as an act of desperation and Jesus immediately stops and asks who touched me? And the disciples are like what do you mean Jesus everybody's touching you but the text says Jesus had felt power go out of him isn't that amazing he felt the woman's touch because something happened and power went out of him and into her and so he stopped And he noticed her. He didn't just rush on to the next thing on his schedule. Even though healing Jairus' daughter was a pretty important thing, and he did go and heal her, but first he stopped and he noticed. And he gave this woman his undivided attention. He stopped because he wanted her to know that she was important to God. That's what giving your time does. It shows people that they are important because for us, time is probably your most valuable asset. People are willing to give money just so they won't be bothered. Am I right? People would rather write a check than to have to give up any of their precious time. But Jesus was always interruptible. He never let the urgency of the moment keep him from seeing and loving the people around him. What might our neighbors need from us? Or rather, what might they need from Jesus through us? Here's my encouragement to us all. When it comes to loving our neighborhood, let's be interruptible. That might mean staying outside for five to ten minutes when we get home and talk with a neighbor. That might mean... Dropping what we're doing to help a neighbor with a project that they're working on in their yard. That may mean stopping our Saturday morning che- uh, chores to, to play a spontaneous game of baseball with the neighborhood kids. If we're really going to love our neighbors, we have to have lives that can be interrupted. Be willing, be interruptible. And the third key to loving our neighbors is to be ready. Sometimes it's hard to reach out to our neighbors because we feel like, we don't know what to do or to say. When we think about engaging with our neighbors you know it can kind of freak us out because where do you begin? How do you start cultivating a relationship especially if we've lived next next to someone for years without doing anything? We feel guilty about that. The reality is that initially it might be very awkward but at the end of the day understand that awkwardness never killed anybody. If we're going to do what jesus said to do at some point we may have to be ready to embrace the awkwardness we have to decide ahead of time that we're going to take a step towards relationship when the opportunity arises you have to decide ahead of time otherwise you're going to chicken out you'll chicken out in the moment if we're going to be about this love our neighborhood business we have to be ready we have to commit ahead of time that we're going to take the opportunity that presents itself in his letter to the church at Colossae, after paul tells the early church followers to make the most of every opportunity he immediately follows it up with these words he says let your conversations be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone that's colossians 4 verse 6. if we are going to make the most of every opportunity we have to be willing to engage in conversations with our neighbors Conversations that embody grace. That that, that characterize our relationship with God. We see how Jesus did that all the time. He was constantly engaging people in conversation. As he walked and and as he visited, sometimes with large groups but often in smaller circles, he was ready when the questions came. And he knew how to sort of shape his answers depending on who was listening. He, He talked to the Pharisees, Uh, who were out to get him very differently than he talked to the woman at the well or the blind man on the road. He he knew how to shape his answer. And so was sensitive in his conversation that his words would would bring the grace of God to that person. That's what we need to do well. That this, this art of conversation seasoned with grace. I want us to look at some practical ideas to get us started down this road. First of all, there's an insert in your bulletin this morning that looks like this. It's kind of a neighborhood map. It's just a simple way to get started. It shows your house here in the center, where you live in the center, and and the eight individuals or families that live closest to you. Do you know their names? I mean that's where you have to start. Just in the first column you write down their names and it's hard to interact with people if you don't know their names. Next the second line is to fill in you know just some factual information that you might know about your neighbors, their occupation, their hometown, where they went to school, interests, their family and so on. This should be stuff that you can't know just by watching them from the front yard but stuff that you've learned through just your casual conversations. Can you can you list any facts about them? Do you know any deeper parts of their story you know their dreams or struggles or goals or challenges and then third how you might be praying for them what needs do they have that you could start to pray about just just start praying that's the main thing just start praying and see what opportunities god might bring your way to be willing to be interruptible to be ready it's just a simple tool to get you started in thinking about your neighborhood and remember People are not projects, so please don't treat them that way. But maybe God will bring you some creative ideas or opportunities to to be a better neighbor. One woman in the church shared with me how she had a first day of school party for all the neighborhood moms, and 13 women came. Another person working in Newark this week shared how God gave him the opportunity to take a homeless family to, to dinner at the subway. Good stories of being a good neighbor. And if God leads you to do something practical like that, and you feel led to kind of share it, not boasting, but maybe to encourage each other, it would be great for you to share those stories through your social media with the hashtag PCNP. Don't share names or make sure you get the person's permission if you're going to use their picture, and especially get permission if you're sharing any pictures of children. But share your stories of how the Lord might have led you to become a better neighbor use the hashtag PCNP and here's another idea next Sunday we're having a rock party mainly for children but everyone is invited just to paint small rocks with a scripture or a word of encouragement and then we're gonna ask folks just to kinda of leave them around your neighborhood or community in visible pa- places so that people will see them and just kinda of pick them up and and be blessed by that just a way to bless people with an encouraging word. We're going to be doing that during the Sunday school hour at New Community Church and at PCNP at 1030 in the gym and everybody can participate in that next Sunday morning. Just a simple way to bless people. And finally I'd like you to start thinking and praying about if there's someone you would like to invite to church during the month of October. In October I'm going to be doing a preaching series directed at people who might feel like they're outsiders. It's called Finding Your Way back to God it's based on the parable of the prodigal son and it is the perfect opportunity to invite that person that you've been meaning to invite the message is, you know not really for someone who's a hardcore atheist but someone who's kinda of seeking who maybe used to go to church who wants to know more about God who is warm to the idea of faith This series will also go along with this book by the same title finding your way back to God and we have a limited supply of these books that we're giving away this morning at the information tables in the Ministry Center and at New Community and also in Parish Hall. Please take one. Give it to a friend or someone in your family or your neighborhood who you know is open to the faith and who is seeking, who, who maybe needs some spiritual direction. The chapters in this book will follow the five Sundays in October, so please use it. In order to take Jesus' words seriously, we must intentionally create space in our lives to build relationships with those who live near us. Are you willing? Are you interruptible? Are you ready? Because if you are, I believe God is going to bring you the opportunity to love your neighbors in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you just for the encouragement of your life and how you modeled for us this willingness to engage with people, to kind of get next to people to be in their homes and to relate to people across the table through the sacrament of the party of the meal and I pray Lord that we would increasingly become a community of good neighbors that you would help us to see the opportunities that are right in front of us and take advantage of those opportunities to create space in our time but more importantly to create space in our hearts so that we might truly love the people that you've placed near us. We thank you now in Christ's name.